Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for listening. All right. So this week, let's talk about alignment. When we think about alignment, we think about so many different things. We think about aligning your actions to your thoughts. We think about aligning your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it. We think about our human design and we think about aligning to our design. We're all born in alignment. And then we get out in society. We get out in the world. We interact with other humans. And our society, our culture is not built for alignment because every single one of us for every single one of us, alignment is different. Society is built for there being one way to do things, there everyone having the same drives and the same desires. But that's not the case. So Earth School, this whole life experience is about remembering who we are and coming back to alignment. Society actually is built for helping us remember to come back to alignment. It's helping us find our way back to alignment. How does that happen? How do we recognize that we're out of alignment? Well, I would say from personal experience that I often recognize that I'm out of alignment when I'm on the other side of it. Once I have gotten into alignment, then I look back and say, whoa, how did I miss that? There's another way that we recognize that we're out of alignment. It's a big wake up call. And this week's guest, Dr. Deepa Nagula, had a huge wake-up call back in 2014 when he was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. More about him in a sec, but that's cancer. Cancer, you guys, that's a big wake-up call. And for Dr. Nagula, it was a huge invitation for him to re-examine his entire life, his entire mind, body, soul, spirit thoughts, actions, every aspect of himself, and to come back into alignment. He recently wrote a book called From Doctor to Patient, Healing Cancer Through Mind, Body, and Spirit. Dr. Nagula is a board-certified osteopathic physician who's also trained in integrative medicine, and he's recently trained under Dr. Andrew Wheel. You guys, I don't wish cancer on anyone. But let's talk about 2020 for a second. I think it's been a huge wake-up call for a lot of us. I know it has for me personally. There are a lot of places that I didn't realize I was out of alignment until I found my way into alignment. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that. So whether you are dealing with a recent diagnosis or know somebody who is dealing with a recent diagnosis or whether 2020 is just a big wake-up call for you or whether it's not, and you don't yet realize the invitation that 2020 has brought for all of us to wake up. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I hope it makes you open up to, I don't know, some form of your alignment, some little teeny tiny piece that might need tweaking. I love you. You're amazing. You're brilliant. You're sparkly. You are incredible. Go forth and be awesome. All right, Diva, I'm really excited to do this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited as well. 
So let's start out with your story. You start wherever you want. Oh, wow. You're giving me a little uh, carte blanche here. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, story is awesome if you um, like a hero's journey. Let's put it that way. So who doesn't, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> who doesn't like a hero's journey? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me, hopefully I can put enough filler in there to make it exciting. But yeah, um, for me, I, I guess my journey was well before um, I actually was first diagnosed with cancer. And um, my cancer is, uh, I got diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2011. And it's not a disease that you, you actually get by um, overnight or over a few weeks. It's not a genetic disease. It's a culmination of lifestyle practices that have gone south for many, many years. When I learned about that, I had a reflection of my life and it really told me about how I lived my life up until the point of diagnosis. And it was really a life where I was filled with a lot of stress, um, a lot of um, loneliness, a lot of improper eating habits and poor, poor sleep. And um, this was all um, over a period of, of 35 to 40 years. And uh, um, when I first, uh, my, I think the tipping point for me was when I first got into entrepreneurship um, and when I started my own practice. Uh, I started my own practice literally six months after I graduated my fellowship. And typically physicians don't start their own practices until well after many years of, of uh, after, after their residency or, or training. And I just dove into it. Um, I, I was unmarried and I figured, okay, the opportunity presented itself, let's go ahead and, and, and do it and see what happens. And it was, it, I didn't understand it at the time, but it was an extremely stressful process because I had to learn business on the run. You know, it was like, a, I was learning as every day, I was learning something new about the business. And then at the same time, I was also trying to practice medicine, which I didn't know very well because I just got out of training. So you combine the two things plus having to be, um, you know, an employer of many, many uh, of, of, of employees that I had no idea how to manage. And so suddenly I was the, the CFO of my practice, the CEO, you know, the COO. And I was also the person who was a physician seeing patients. And so um, initially it was stressful and I, I got the hang of it and I started to grow my practice. Um, and as I grew it, it was, it was something that I thought would be easier by hiring more people. And I later found out that hiring more people is actually the wrong thing to do because it makes, more it, makes it more difficult because you have more hands in the pot. And I, that was a very hard thing to understand. Um, and it, again, it was all a learning process, but it was extremely stressful. And I was constantly under a lot of stress being the physician and running the practice and also maintaining the business. And after about seven and a half years um, of practicing and having, growing it to uh, two offices, a surgery center and having 30 plus employees, I, I just got really burnt out and I wanted to exit. Um, I exited my practice and then a year later, uh, or shortly after I exited, I got married. And then about six months later is when I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, that's when um, things really turned for me. And, and since then, uh, that was in 2015 or 14 when I was diagnosed and 15 when I went into remission. And since then, it's been a um, revolving door of different lifestyle strategies I've been in, employing. To try to better myself and to improve myself um, 
not only because uh, it's it's something that I want to do to keep the cancer away and stay in remission, but it's something that I want to do because I want to be able to teach these strategies to people. And um, some of the things that I've already learned were in, are, are in the book that I wrote um, and from doctor to patient. And um, some of the things that I constant I continuously learn are as a result of people who I have on my podcast shows. And I love doing the podcast because it's a way not only for me to disseminate the information, but it's a way for me learning as well. And it's, you know, I don't, um, I, I'm a, as a physician, we're constantly in practice of, of learning. It's not, it's, 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 there's so much medicine that revolves on a daily basis, month to month. And we're constantly reading peer review journals and constantly going to seminars. And for me, since I made the shift from practicing conventional medicine to integrated functional medicine, I have to learn a whole new way of practicing medicine. And that is a whole big shift for me because I'm so used to looking at patients and looking at their symptoms and, and treating their symptoms instead of getting to their root cause. And the root cause of the problem is what defines integrative medicine and functional medicine. So that's all new to me. So how did you make that shift? I guess, did you make it as a patient before? As a, yeah. So, okay. yeah, as I was learning about my cancer and I was learning, researching more about it, and I was understanding what the causes of the cancer were, I realized that nothing that I had um, learned in medicine prepared me for this. And that was a travesty because um, if I had properly if I had learned from day one when I was entering medical school as to how to live my life appropriately, you know, when it comes to sleep, diet, um, you know, hygiene and environmental toxins and all that good stuff, I definitely would have prevented this issue from happening. And um, I actually applied to a fellowship um, right when I was starting chemotherapy. And it was because I didn't know about integrative medicine. It was more about something that just fell into my lap as I was researching about root causes of issues. And um, there was a fellowship at the University of Arizona that was um, uh, Dr. Andy Weil had started this. And I wanted to apply because I heard he was like one of the top-notch integrative physicians. Um, and I heard that the, the, the teachings and the fellowship and the didactics were amazing. So I applied and I got in. Um, and I literally had to start um, uh, about a month into my last um, my cycle of chemotherapy. So it was a two-year online, um, you know, with some didactics um, in, at the institution. But for the most part, this is where I got my my education and some of the education that I I, I was I learned. Um, I used that information to help me um, better myself and to improve myself. And um, I, I used those uh, those. Uh, those tips um, and teachings to keep me out of remission, keep me in remission. So I want to back up. You said that basically your cancer was a result of just burning the candle at both ends, living this totally high stress life. Did you know that at the time? Did you know that what you were doing was hurting your body? I didn't. I, I, and then maybe in the beginning, it kind of dawned on me that I was working a little hard. But the problem was, is that I, I, I it was a new normal. Every day became a new normal. And so things that were going on in my body, like the inflammation, the changes that I was experiencing, um, the poor bowel habits, the poor sleep, um, you know, and, and just the exhaustion and the, and the constant stress, all these were, were adaptable for me. I adapted to this and it became the new normal and that became my new life. And I didn't, and I forgot what real life was like. Um, I came from 
fellowship training to basically starting my own business. And there wasn't any gap of really like catching my breath. So it was the new normal. And looking at it back now, I understand, you know, the signs I saw, I can see the signs. And, and now, um, and I, and now it's like, I see it all the time in people and I want to make, make light of these signs and symptoms so that people can catch it before they fall into the trap of getting cancer. Like I did. Yeah. Okay. So will you help out our listeners right now? Like what do people need to know? You don't have to restrict yourself to a number. There are no rules on the find your awesome podcast. Just talk. So there's different strategies. And as you know, my book is, is um, from doctor to patient healing cancer through mind, body, and spirit. And I categorize it that way, mind, body, and spirit, because I feel you can break things down and optimize your yourself in those specific categories. Um, initially for me, it was all about the body and that's cause I, it resonated with me the best, um, because it's a very objective type of practice. For example, if you are overweight or if you are, um, out of shape, that's very perceivable by looking at yourself in the mirror or trying to work out and you're just puffing and puffing. Those are really easy things that are tangible. And I focus on that in the very beginning um, and I, I changed my diet. And what I did was I learned that um, there is an influx and there's a, there's a tremendous amount of toxicity in our food supply. And one of the things that I learned was um, there's pesticides, there's a huge herbicides and insecticides we're, we're consuming on a regular basis, specifically um, glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. This is sprayed all over our crops, all over, you know, um, it's, it's rampant in our food supply. Um, it even goes down to um, the crops that are being fed to the animals that we eat. Those are all are, are tainted with glyphosate. And so um, learning about this made me realize that I need to start eating organic. And everything that I eat nowadays, I mean, there's some exceptions here and there, but I eat pretty much organic. And that's because there's more nutrient content in, the, in eating organic plus you're eliminating the excessive amounts of pesticides, specifically glyphosate. Um, and for me, glyphosate is important to rid because it is a high correlation with the cancer that I had. Um, and so they made that uh, correlation years ago. And in the, and the, and the WHO, um, WHO, they actually classified glyphosate as a carcinogen not too long ago. And, and it's so, still like Roundup is still sold in Everywhere. Stores everywhere i mean not only not so in the stores but it's more importantly sprayed on our crops that we eat on a regular basis um so it's it's rampant in our food supply on on soy on cotton on wheat 98 percent of these crops have glyphosate in it um and obviously this is we're talking about tra um, uh, traditional food not organic so um that's the big change and then i had to change my the way i was eating i was trying to i had to put more nutrients into my system um, I hadn't eaten anything that was nutritious since I left high school when I was eating my mom's home cooking. Um, they're vegetarian, so I was constantly getting the proper amount of vegetables and nutrients and the phytonutrients specifically that are found in fruits and vegetables. And for me, it, um, when I dawned about the lack of nutrition that I was getting, I realized that I had to change and really implement a quality of foods and an assortment of foods. So what I like to say is it's important to really um, eat a rainbow of a variety of, of color of foods because each, each color of foods represents a different phytonutrient that has an anti-inflammatory or an antioxidant property that's beneficial for our body. 
So these are things that I implemented initially. And then I started to understand um, uh, the importance of, of exercising. I'd always exercise here and there, but when I was busy with work, I mean, I, I, I totally stopped. Um, and so I started to exercise more and, and that has so many tangible benefits. Um, and it was important for me to really um, continue with an exercise program on a regular basis and not do it once a week or once a month like I was when I was practicing. So those are the two main things that I really, uh, the food and the exercise in terms of the body um, aspect I focused on. Um, and it wasn't later until um, I started writing the book um, and I was doing more research that I had to um, really add more things about the mind. And then later on, after about six months writing the book, I really started to understand that I had to incorporate the spiritual part of it. Um, but the mind is, is interesting. It was, um, you know, I, I didn't realize the time, but I was um, actually in a state of um, depression because of my cancer. And then also um, I, I got into a nasty divorce while I was um, recovering from chemo. And so it was, it took a toll on me and, um, I'd always been a type of person that where my mind is always wandering. I always think about the future because that's how we're trained when we're going to medical school. It's you're, you're never living in the, in the now or the moment because you're looking about test scores that gets you into the best medical school or test scores that get you into the best residency. And then you have your boards, boards that you have to pass in order to be able to practice medicine. And so it's, you've not, I mean, ever since I was in high school, it was never about understanding and appreciating the moment and the present, the present moment. It was all about the future. And then if you screw things up then you have regrets and you always think about the past. And so there was never an opportunity to sit there and understand what it's like to be living in the now. And that was a huge thing for me. Um, and I started to research about mindfulness and mindfulness as you probably already know, it's really the practice of moment-to-moment -moment awareness without having any judgment. And there's different practices where you can achieve mindfulness. You can do things like um, yoga, meditation, um, tai chi, qigong. Uh, you can even do breathing exercises, which is my favorite way of practicing mindfulness. Um, praying. These are all forms of, 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 of doing uh, mindfulness exercises. So I, I started to engage in some of these um, practices and um, started to really get into um, more mindfulness. And, and this really helped calm my, my mind and ground me and center me and, and appreciate the moment more. Um, and meditation was something I did on and off for a very long time, but it didn't um, necessarily agree with me. And a lot of people, there's so much information online and, you know, in, in, in TVs and advertisements about let's start meditating. You have to know if it resonates with you or not. Um, it's everyone is probably like, it seems to be really hard work. You have to really 50, 15 to 20 minutes or even less time than that. But, you know, everyone thinks that when your mind is wandering, that you're not successful in the meditation. So it, it eventually people give it up. Um, but I like the breathing exercises because you can actually appreciate the improvements of breathing exercises almost after it's immediately completed. And it's called pranayama. It's a more technical term for breathing exercises. But for me, um, you know, I recently got into um, uh, quantifying my, my mindfulness by practicing, by, by really measuring my heart rate variability. Um, and heart rate variability is awesome because it, it really measures um, 
the resiliency of your nervous system. And it's really important because we want to be out of sympathetic or out of fight or, fl fight or flight. We never want to be in fight or flight on a regular basis. There's times when it's important to be in fight or flight and it's the appropriate response. But for the most part, we don't need to be in fight or flight. And that is a strategy to always adhere to. Consequences of which is, is it causes, and if you're in fight or flight, really burns your, your system down. Um, it, it, it causes adrenal fatigue and it causes your cortisol levels to be elevated too high. And there's a lot of damage that can result as a, um, and the long story is, is that it can lead to chronic disease uh, and, and ensue even situations where cancer can be something. And do you uh, and feel I, like you were in fight or flight that but, whole uh, time? I was in fight or flight since the day I was born. Yeah. So, um, and that's another story. Uh, we can get into that if you'd like to hear about that. But um, honestly, it's really important to be in more of a balance of a parasympathetic system where it's the opposite of fight or flight. It's more the rest and digest where you're kind of calm in a meditative, not really meditative state, but um, you're really, uh, yeah, the best, more of a relaxed tone, very calm. And that, that's kind of um, how we need to live our lives. And it, by practicing mindfulness, it allows us to be more in a parasympathetic state versus fight or flight. And if you do mindfulness practices and you're doing this on a frequent basis, your um, sympathetic nervous system, when it does um, get elicited, it actually normalizes quickly because you've been practicing um, parasympathetic and mindfulness-based exercises. So um, that's something that I, I learned um, through research and through my fellowship. So um, do you want to hear a story about the, uh, how my life was? Uh, yes. full of <laughs> <laughs> so I have this theory. I have this theory that I was born um, in fight or flight. And this, this dawned on me maybe six months ago or so. And the reason why I say that is because my mom and my dad um, emigrated from India at a very young age. Um, my mom had me when she was 19 and my dad was 24 and they came over here to the US. Um, my dad's a physician and he wanted to train here and do his residency here. My mom was pregnant with me when she flew over here and she didn't have any family um, in the States. My, my dad didn't know, they didn't know anyone. So um, after I was born, I mean, actually before I get to that point, um, the last three months of my mom's pregnancy with me, she um, was here in the States and she lost weight she actually um was actually the same weight that she actually lost a few pounds at delivery um compared to what she was before she was pregnant so she lost weight during the entire pregnancy and um so that could tell you that there was some trauma going on with the pregnancy itself and of course i was the 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 brunt of it all and um it, it was and then you add that to the mental emotional stress that my mom was experiencing that all translates to, to the to the um, to the fetus, um, and that's what happened. And when I came, when I delivered, when I was delivered, um, I was very colicky. I, I I would not be a person who was easily um, soothed. My mom never knew how to soothe me, and she was alone. She didn't have anyone to assist um, with me. And and my dad was out to work and at all late hours doing residency. So it was just me and my mom and. You know, you couldn't really call anyone, you know, family in India. It wasn't exactly the easy thing to do. Um, so I could only imagine what it was like. And I'm sure my mom went into some sort of uh, postpartum depression. Yeah. And, and so 
I really feel that I was in a state of fight or flight forever. And then until I started to learn um, meditation and breathing exercises, that's when I fully, for the very first time, I felt my, my diaphragm relax. And then it was like this instant feeling of relief. And then I knew that I was pretty much in a constant state of, of sympathetic or fight or flight pretty much all my life, mm -hmm. um, which, which was, you know, you, you, have, you have that component and you add all the lifestyle strategies that I didn't practice. And you add the stress that was going on with work um, and improper eating. I mean, it was a perfect storm for, for a chronic disease like cancer to come my way. It's also so interesting because if, it, if that hadn't happened, if you hadn't been diagnosed with cancer, where would you be now? If I wasn't diagnosed, well, it depends. Are you saying that I, if I escaped? Like I don't know. I don't well, know. Cause I, I don't know. Could you have escaped with, without no, getting I, sick of something? It, some chronic, some ailments would have hit me, whether it would have been, you know, my blood pressure was high. So I could have probably stroked out or have a, have a, 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 a heart attack at a very young age. There is a very plausible thinnings that could have occurred to, with me. Um, cancer was something that I, gosh, that was the last thing that I was worried about. Honestly. Um, it was always about my cholesterol, my blood pressure, um, and, and the constant stress that I was in, but never in my mind would I would have thought that all those, those issues would have led to diagnosis of cancer. Mm. It's so interesting too, because I, when you said diaphragm, it made me think of, okay, a couple things. One is there are a bunch of different diaphragms in our body. Like, you know, there's the one we think about in our in our abdomen, the one we use for breathing. And then there's like the one in our foot and the palate of our mouth. And I think our pelvic floor is also a diaphragm and they're all supposed to work together. And if one of them is tense, then that like that throws off the whole system. Balance, right. Yeah. And that's just, that's just breathing, which we're all supposed to know how to do, or that's right. the belief we have that we're all, you can't do it wrong. Right. And, and that's the thing is, is that breathing can be done in different ways. But what I was used to doing was the chest breathing, the shallow breathing. And that's the breathing that you typically utilize when you're in sympathetic fight or flight. You know, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense if you're being chased by a mountain lion you really can't don't have enough time to react and do these big belly breathing. You, you, you have a chest breathe. Yeah. And that's when I start, when I learned how to breathe correctly, I, the teacher was telling me, he's like, you're a chest breather. And then she basically went through the exercise of teaching me how to breathe from the diaphragm and I had to relearn how to breathe. Um, but it, it was, I'm still learning because my go-to is being in a chest breather. That's my mm -hmm. natural tendency. And it's hard to erase 40 some years of, of breathing a certain way overnight. Yeah. Okay. So spiritual, what did that evolution look like for you? Yeah. So a couple of things that opened the doors for me, part of it was the research for the book. Um, I, I was reaching about a fact uh, about loneliness and um, they say that the loneliness is as a risk factor for mortality as having um, a smoker smoke 15 cigarettes a day or um, a person who is obese or a person who had, leads sedentary lifestyle. So it actually has more risk factor for dying than those other three conditions that I mentioned. And that's 
for, that's humongous because it, it's, it's, no one addresses it. And it is such a huge problem that we have in our society. And loneliness doesn't necessarily mean that you're alone. You're not surrounded by people, right? You could live in a big city and in like, for example, like New York City, be walking down the street with hundreds of people around you. you people would be like, you can't be lonely. You have no pe you have so many people around you. But that's not loneliness. Loneliness is the lack of connection. And um, as I learned about this particular um, facet, I learned that I could apply that to myself, that I was lonely. And even before I was struck with cancer, I was lonely because work was my friend. And that's how I was, I was a workaholic. I didn't have any connection, um, even with my wife that I was married to, um, we never really had a whole lot of connection. And I, I never felt like I was being heard when I was talking or communicating with others about my own personal problems or issues that I had. And, and that's what really precipitated the issue of loneliness with me. And, and when I learned about that, I, I immediately, when I moved back to the DC area, I was really um, adamant about finding my tribe and finding uh, people who um, I would feel comfortable where I could reveal insecurities or issues about myself and felt like I was being heard. Um, and I, I, I did, I have found that and, you know, and there's, and it's, it's great feeling when you do have that tribe and when you're, when you're actually listened to and, and um, you're actually, you feel like you're being heard. Um, so that was an issue for me, but what blew me, what blew the doors um, wide open for me was um, with my experience with psychedelics. And um, that was, that was a, um, a huge, huge thing that opened, my, opened the doors to spirituality. And after, it was after my first psychedelic experience, um, and that spawned the concept of writing this book. And um, then as I started to do more research, I, I, I definitely needed to include spirituality as a component of healing. Um, I, I really feel now um, that you need to have a balance of all three parts, the mind, body, and spirit in order to really achieve um, wellness. And um, psychedelics, of course, they're, they're illegal, but there's some underground, there's a huge underground practice. Um, and there are medicines that are used as psychedelics that are in the pipeline by the FDA, and they're in phase three trials. Actually, one's in phase two, one's in phase three. Um, psilocybin, otherwise known as magic mushrooms, is in phase three trials. And MDMA, oh no, I'm sorry, vice versa. MDMA is um, ecstasy or molly that's in phase three trials and psilocybin is in phase two trials with the FDA. Um, and they're fast-tracked because of the uh, immense benefits they have on, on people in terms of um, depression, trauma, anxiety, um, PTSD, uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, addiction. And these are all things that are improving as a result of the utilization of psychedelics. And that's why there's so much of a rampant use. And there's also a huge movement and jurisdictions and, and municipalities are um, decriminalizing these medicines because there's such a great benefit for people. Um, Did you do it with a group with mm -hmm. like under yeah. medical supervision? Yeah, or? I did it under a facilitator who was trained um, uh, by a shaman, and she, they, she's been doing this for 20, 20 plus years. And she would travel to different areas around the country and hold small circles. Um, and uh, uh, during these circles, medicine, medicine would be administered. And then you'd have the, uh, the, uh, the journey or the, or the trip and then the experience, and then you'd be able to integrate. And the next day, um, as a group with the facilitator trying to um, describe um, and explain the meanings of your trip. And 
um, then, you know, obviously the results are practices and help integrate our, um, whatever we insights that we had and help us integrate those into our daily practices. So, um, that that's, it's, you know, for people who are listening to the podcast, you know, it's really important to, if you're going to do it, um, to find, uh, a, a setting that's safe and find a person who's the facilitator that is very well experienced and knows what they're doing because it's, if you're in a situation where you're in a setting that you don't feel safe or if someone's facilitating doesn't know what they're doing, it can make your total experience awful. It could traumatize you and it could have really ill effects on your overall well-being. And that's not the intent of this medicine. You really need to be in a safe setting um, to practice this. So what was your experience like? Um, it wasn't a very good experience for me. I'll be honest with you. And a lot of it had to do with the setting. I didn't know the facilitator. I didn't know anything about the stuff. Um, I didn't research it ahead of time. Um, I had always, um, not been a person who did well with, um, mind altering substances. And so I was always hesitant to doing this, but, um, the group that was here, a friend of mine was insistent that I come and cause it was life changing for him and life changing for his friends that got him into it. And so he's just insistent that I try it. And so I canceled twice. And then finally the third time I was like, I can't cancel again. I feel bad. So I, I went ahead and did it. And I, I didn't, it was very much um, something that I was releasing. And now that I learned about it, I was releasing a lot of trauma. Um, I've later learned that trauma is stored in our bodies. And I've had obviously years of trauma. I mean, even in utero, I was, I was in trauma. And, it's, it was, and I was doing a lot of shaking. And that shaking was release of this trauma that was stored in me. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like I got a lot of sleep that night um, uh, doing the medicines. But the next morning when I woke up, oh my gosh, I felt so much lighter, um, you know, and, and it was like, I, I suddenly felt like there was this weight off my shoulders and I just felt so lighter and so like I was in my heart space. Um, I'm usually a person who's always up in my head and it was really nice to actually be in my heart space and function out of my heart and let the ego aside for a little while. And um, that was a huge change for me. And then I noticed as I was driving home on a street that I've traveled thousands of times before that at a traffic light, I was just looking around and appreciating the beauty of the scenery in front of me, something that I've never done before. I was noticing things for the first time, the color of the trees, the trees, how they were hanging over a specific building, um, specific letters that were on mailboxes of, of people's houses. It's stuff that I never noticed before. And I reason why is because I was always up in my head and being in my head, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, not living in the moment, prevented me from appreciating the beauty around us and pre preventing me of basically living in the moment. And so um, that's what the psychedelics did for me. It really opened me up and it allowed, it, it gave me the ability to see what's possible and, um, and since then, I've been always trying to work on myself more and more so that I could be in the moment and function out of my heart space instead of being in my head all the time. How do you do that without the psychedelics? What's your technique? Yeah. Meditation, the breathing exercises. You know, um, I still continue to practice and do psychedelics, um, not because I've, it's, it's an escape or it's a means of getting high because I don't actually look forward to doing them but it's a way that I have to resolve all this trauma that's stored in my body. Um, and it's also a way of opening me up psychedelics in and it itself, um, has, um, 
positive effects on the brain. It, it actually, it, it enhances connections. It's called neuroplasticity. So um, it enhances connections that either have previously been broken or it enhances connections um, that weren't there in the past. And what that does is it basically connects parts of our brain that weren't communicating before. And so it, old patterns that um, are, are, are no longer present um, and new patterns emerge. And with that, you were able to function more of, um, you know, out of our heads and our default mode network where the constant rumination is, is typically uh, present, kind of reduces itself and mitigates. Um, so that's why I continue to do it. Um, a lot of people, um, and it's not a comparison thing, but it's kind of my natural go-to because my ego always compares. A lot of people that I've, I've done this medicine with have, have had a huge profound effects, trans, very transformative in just one or two um, experiments, experiences with this medicines. Um, me, you know, I've, I've done it quite a number of times and I haven't achieved the same. And of course, my ego was like, you're a loser. You know, you, you, you know, you can't, and, but you know, that's, that's the way my ego is programmed. And that's the way our, that, that self-critic in our head, it's mm -hmm. what it always does to ourselves. Um, and we just have to be mindful and overcome that. Um, and I know there's changes that are, that are taking place because my self-critic was constant. I mean, it was bad. Um, and it's much quieter now. Um, and so there's still a lot of work that I need to do. Um, not only through psychedelics, but just internal work that I have to um, do on myself. And that's part of the, the, the process of, of healing. It's not an easy fix, but if you want to get better, and if you actually see yourself in a different light through psychedelics, and you know what possibilities exist, then it's like, wow, you want to try and achieve that, that moment and that type of ment mental state um, on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, I want to back up to loneliness is that is the loneliness epidemic i've heard a lot about it um is it unique to the to north america to the western world is it like is it is it the worst in the states that's a good question i think honestly it's probably a good correlation that um Western civilization experiences more of the loneliness because we're caught in the rigors of, of, of life. We don't spend enough spiritual, have, we don't have enough spiritual practices or bonding opportunities uh, with people. Um, that's why the whole thing about tribes, you know, like my tribe, your tribe, it, 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 it really brings us back to the Native Americans. They have this bonding ability that's so um, prevalent and so nascent is their way of life. And as a result, so much of disease and so much of crap that we experience in the Western culture doesn't exist. Um, it's because of our capacity to bond with one another. It's a capacity to um, not, have, not have the feeling of loneliness. Um, and, and it's a huge ability to heal. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's accurate. I think it's probably a product of Western civilization. And how did you go about finding your tribe and create, creating your tribe? Um, honestly, it was, um, an introduction. Um, when I moved back into this, into the DC area, I was introduced to a, a community of entrepreneurs and, um, it was interesting. These entrepreneurs, um, I, I never knew that I was an entrepreneur. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was, but when I had my own practice, that was my first venture in entrepreneurship. 
And um, yeah, it was, I didn't have that kind of a community in, um, in Florida where I used to live and practice. And when I moved here, I got introduced to the community and it was really nice to um, talk with individuals who had the same issues, who understood me, um, who understood the, that we have this need to drive ourselves and we're driven individuals and we're not, it's not a sickness. It's just, it's just our genetic makeup and who we are. Um, and it, it was, and then we all like, and it's, it's this community where I was um, uh, first in, invited to do psychedelics. And so this group of people that I was with, we found each other and we found psychedelics together and we're all growing spiritually and we're growing as individuals and we're keeping each other's accountable for, um, you know, uh, for things, insights that we might have during a psychedelic experience. And as we, it's nice to, it's just really was probably something that I was um, always looking for and it took this long to find, uh, find it, but it's, it's great to have it. Uh, from, from this side, listening to your story, it sounds, it sounds like everything was just laid out perfectly for you. <laughs> I just thought about that before I even said it. So that's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Like it probably didn't look like that at all when you were going through it. No, you're right. But, and that's why it's, it's and from a spiritual perspective, it's divine intervention is how I look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. It looks like it's actually the perfect path. And it just involved a huge, huge pivot. And you'd appreciate, you'd appreciate this because you're into human design. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had um, my human design read, for, uh, uh, it, it was uh, read for me or, and by a shaman whom I, is my, one of my coaches. And um, it all makes sense. You know, I'm a, I'm a manifesting generator. And I think all the entrepreneurs that I'm actually friends with are all manifesting generators too. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I didn't know if you knew your human design. I'm a manifesting generator as well. What is your profile? The numbers? Do I don't know that. Know that. No, I don't. I'm curious if you're a three, five because three fives learn through personal experience. Mm, okay. That, that would make line. sense. That's, the three line is all about learning through personal experience. So you could have, you could have learned about functional medicine even in med school, but it wouldn't have. I've wrestled until I experienced it. No, you all right? Yeah. You had to learn it for yourself. And that make, makes sense how I, if I went to business school, it would have not made me a better business person. I had to go through it the way I did. Yeah. That's not how you learn about business. You <laughs> learn through like experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't learn through books. You learn through doing it yourself. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing about human design. My profile is the four six and we learn through people. We don't mm. learn through books either. It doesn't mean you can't read. No. <laughs> but like the stuff that sticks. Exactly. Through personal experience and through other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you find your way to a shaman in the midst of all this? That was again divine intervention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um about a year and a half ago, um, I was, I have this business that I started when I moved back to DC and it's an um, IV hydration concierge business. Um, you probably have them in Sarasota or in South Florida. That's all over the place and around the country and DC didn't have a one that was concierge. So I started one up and I was marketing to various people, um, in the community. It was going door to door in physicians offices. And one one office I went to was actually a naturopathic um, uh, uh, physician, 
And I didn't know them. It was a cold call. And I walked in and they were very happy to you know, talk with me. And then there was like this, um, the doctor I was supposed to meet, she was unavailable, but her husband was keep, was like working there as a, as a business manager. And he took me to the side and we started talking about stuff. And I literally had just done my maybe two or three um, psychedelic sessions before I, I, I met him. And we were talking and there was just this conversation about spirituality. And I was like thinking in my mind, like, I wonder if he does psychedelics. And later on, I found out he was taking the same thing. And then one of us during the conversation blurted it out. And, you know, because it's kind of taboo. And we blurted it out. And then and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, you do it too. And then we started talking about it. And then it happened to have a shaman who was doing readings for their, for their patients that week. And they had a session open the next day. One left and I took it. And um, that's, that's, that's all she wrote. And then he was the one that did my human design that day. That's perfect. That's all mm -hmm. just, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course, that's how it worked out. What, okay, there's, what else do I want to, what else, what am I missing? What else do Actually, we need to talk about? We've covered so much. We've covered everything, mind, body, and spirit. Um, yeah, covered the, the book. I, gosh, I mean, we covered so much in such little time. I know. Well then, will you tell us, please, how we can find you, where we can find the book, remind us of the name of the book, and anything else? Absolutely. Um, you can find my book. It's uh, from doctor to patient, healing cancer through mind, body, and spirit. And that's on Amazon, um, Books a Million, and Barnes and Nobles. Um, I also have a podcast series that's called From Doctor to Patient. Um, and that's on iTunes and Spotify. And um, I also, you can find me on my website at fromdoctortopatient.com. And there you'll have, I have a blog that I uh, write something two, two times a week. Um, my podcasts are posted on there. And I also do some consulting if people are interested in that too. Awesome. Thank you so much. This no, is you're fantastic. So it's been nice uh, having this conversation with you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to know more about Diva's incredible journey into alignment, check out the episode that we did on his podcast from Doctor to Patient, where I read his human design chart, or I gave the, I gave some tidbits from his human design chart. And speaking of human design, remember as always, you can book a human design reading with me book a partner human design reading with me, book a human design upgrade with me and with Tina that involves theta healing, or book a human design play date. And you can do all of that at kelseyabbott.com slash human design. And if you're like, what is human design? I've got that available for you now too. Just go on the homepage of my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there's a little banner up there towards the top of the page that says new to human design, click here and go there and you'll you will be welcomed with wide open, loving arms into the human design rabbit hole. I hope you all have a fabulous week. I'm excited to connect with you again next week. Again, as always, if you can please support the Find Your Awesome podcast by leaving a five-star rating and a review, I would be so grateful. I love you. Go forth and be awesome. Bye.